The sermon I'm about to read was prepared by Reverend Veltman of the Free Reformed Church in Southern River, uh, Western Australia. The text he has chosen is 1 Peter 4, verse 10, which we have read together. The sermon is based on the New King James Version of this text. This version of the text will be displayed on the screen behind me along with the theme and points and is referenced throughout the sermon. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we reference several texts throughout the sermon. After the message, we will sing in response Psalm 107, verse 12, 14, and 15. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in this series of sermons on the ABCs of faith, this morning we will deal with the letter G. The G for giving. Giving and making the most of the talents and gifts God has entrusted to us, giving ourselves and giving of ourselves and this to the glory of God and the well-being of one another. So let us first turn to 1 Peter 4 verse 10. Doing so, I would like to start with highlighting the word grace. This word, from a general point of view, refers to something you have received for nothing. The biblical meaning of this word refers to God's unmerited favor, something we did not deserve, but received by grace alone. Well, beloved, this also applies to the gifts, the talents, which God has given to each one of us. In the, in the short passage we read from Peter's first letter, the Apostle Peter urges the addressees of this letter to pray for one another, to show love, to be hospitable. However, these are things which from ourselves we would never do, since our sinful nature is rather selfish, egocentric. By nature, we are more inclined to think of ourselves first. Hence, God has to make us willing to apply ourselves in this graceful way. God has to do it, and he will do it, not just in a limited way, but even in abundance. Peter speaks about the manifold grace God has bestowed upon his church, saying also that each member shares in this manifold grace. It is not limited to some special people, say the office bearers only, but each member of the congregation has become a steward of something special God has entrusted to him or her. In chapter 1, verse 2, Peter had written, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Well, according to what we read in our text, God had richly answered this prayer, giving manifold gifts with which the members now had to serve one another, and this, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Well, beloved, likewise, God has blessed us also with many gifts, with which we too have to serve one another, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, also here in Edmonton Emmanuel. That is the gospel I may proclaim to you this morning, which I have summarized as follows. Being gifted by God, we are called to serve. We will look at what we are to understand by being gifted, what task does this involve, and the ultimate purpose of making the most of being gifted. The section we read this morning from the first letter of the Apostle Peter, chapter 4, verse 7 to 11, starts with the words, the end of all things is near. Hence, Peter says, let us no longer waste precious time. As New Testament church, we live in the time called by scripture, the last day. For in example, the period which started with Pentecost and which will end with Christ's second coming, when he will return to this earth to judge the living and the dead. 
I realize more than 2,000 years have passed since, yet this should not cause us to think that there is nothing to worry. Peter addresses this issue in his second letter, in chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to, be, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Peter mentions here that God is long-suffering, giving time to still repent. Yet this will not continue forever. The end of all things is near. Therefore, stop wasting precious time. In verse 3 of the chapter in which our text is found, Peter writes, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. I could summarize all this as follows. We have to be careful to make the most of the time still given to us, lest time may run out. After all, one day God's long-suffering will end, which, even though we do not always think about it, can happen at any time. This should not make us scared. Instead, says Peter, it should make us the more active in serving, and in doing so, living our faith to the glory of God. In this context, Peter mentions four things we should be devoted to in light of the fact that the end of all things is near. First, he mentions the subject of prayer in verse 7b. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Paraphrasing, Peter is saying here, keep a level-headed, vigilant attitude in organizing your life and thinking clearly so that you can pray more effectively. Next, he mentions love in verse 8a. Above all, love each other deeply. And then, quoting Proverbs 10, verse 12, he adds, For love covers over a multitude of sins. If we indeed truly love each other, according to the example of our Lord and Savior loving us, as Scripture urges us to do in so many places, if we truly make an effort to do so, beloved, we will be able to put up with a lot of things which otherwise would irritate or even separate us. Loving each other this way, we will have the highest good of the other in mind, which then will also rule all our thoughts and feelings, all our words and actions. This love will also have practical consequences, for example, in being hospitable without grumbling. The third point Peter mentions, the end of all things is at hand, History is moving towards a fixed goal, the culmination of all things. Hence, says Peter, let us no longer waste precious time, but instead be disciplined in prayer, earnest in love, cheerful in hospitality, and finally, be also diligent in making use of your gifts to serve one another, which brings us to our text in verse 10.
as each one has received a gift. With these words, Peter wants to say, every Christian, every child of God, in some way or another, has been gifted by God. If you sincerely believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life, you are never without gifts, whatever this gift may be, since every member of Christ's body has a function. Every member has his or her role within the body as a whole. Therefore, there is not one of the Lord's people who has not received from the glorified Christ some gifts which we now must use for the benefit of our fellow members to glorify and praise God in it. Each has received a gift. The word gift literally reads charisma, which, which has as root the Greek word charis, meaning grace. Well, gifts are exactly that, gifts. These gifts are gracious, undeserved outpouring of God's goodness, free gifts flowing from the undeserved grace of the Almighty God. In verse 10, it reads that we have to minister our gifts to one another as good stewards. The original Greek uses, for the, word, uses the word ministering, which is a word similar to our word deacon, diakonia, which simply means serving, which is the basic idea behind all ministry. Minister to one another, says Peter. Well, to make clear what this means, perhaps for a moment think of the task of a minister. His duty is to care for the congregation. Well, that same care the Lord asks of all of us. Each member of the congregation is called to do so using his or her own specific gift or gifts. Peter says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's why I summarize the message of this morning's text as follows. Being gifted by God, we are called to serve. Being gifted, beloved, should never cause us to boast, drawing attention to ourselves. Always remember, the gifts we have received come from God. From our side, we did nothing that we could say we merit them. All gifts are rooted in the free and sovereign grace of God. Hence, there is never any room for pride. This means on the one hand, never should we overvalue ourselves and say, See how good I am in this or that. Yet on the other hand, there is never any reason either to undervalue ourselves, saying, what can I do with my small gift? They can easily do without me. We are called to serve one another, and this, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4, for the building up of the body of Christ. Coming to the second point of this sermon, I would like to say a bit more about the word steward mentioned in our text. A steward is someone who manages the resources of his master. Well, we are entrusted with the responsibility to manage God's resources. Looking at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, it teaches us that we can be good and faithful stewards, good and faithful servants. Yet, there are also wicked and slothful servants. It all depends on what we do with the gifts God has entrusted to us. In Matthew 25, the unfaithful servant buried his gift and returned it exactly as it had been given to him, having done nothing with it. However, this is not what God wants. God wants us to work with the gifts entrusted us. At times, 
this may involve some risks, which we should dare to take, trusting God. In addition, a good steward will creatively explore ways in which he can utilize his gifts in such a way that the return is maximized for the glory of God. It is in this way, beloved, that we are called to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The expression manifold grace indicates God's gracious gifts are multifaceted and infinitely variable. In several of Paul's letters, we find a list of gifts. Yet each time the list is different, which shows the variety of gifts present in the congregation. Moreover, even each gift in itself varies from person to person. Two people may have the same gift, yet in working with this gift, they vary again in the fact that the same gift is used by two different personalities. Looking at the gifts God has bestowed upon us from this perspective, it shows how great the variety is. God in his almighty power and infinite wisdom, who can craft each snowflake with a unique and distinct signature and pattern, similarly has gifted his people with an infinite diversity of degrees and styles and combinations of gifting. That's what Peter means when he speaks about the manifold grace of God. Manifold indeed, variable beyond comprehension when you start thinking about it. In our text, the believers are called to minister these gifts with one another, to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I like to note that when saying this, Peter does not make any distinction between spiritual gifts and natural talents or abilities, and there is no need for that either. Let me just try to make this clear with the following example. Say there is a gifted musician within the congregation. God has bestowed this gift upon this member. God is the giver of this specific talent. In a similar way as God may give to another member a specific talent in teaching or in carpentry. For a moment, let us stay with that member having received a specific talent in music. With respect to the question whether or not this is a spiritual gift, the answer depends on how this gift is used. The member gifted with this specific talent may use it to earn a living, say by being a music teacher. Yet at the same time, they may also use it by playing the organ in the worship service. However, as such, the one use of this gift is no more spiritual than the other use of this gift is. The gift becomes spiritual when it is yielded to God to make the most of this talent to God's glory, be it by teaching the students well or by playing the organ well during the worship service. I hope you get the drift of this example. Well, it is in this way that each one of us, with whatever talent we have been given, is called to serve in the place where God has set us for the well-being of one another, and this with the ultimate aim to glorify God with it. It's here that I would like to turn to the passage of Exodus we read this morning, which is part of the section in which Moses explains to the Israelites what the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. Amongst other things, the Lord had said to Moses that a tabernacle had to be built from the offerings the Israelites had to make. Two people were put in charge to oversee this whole project. Two people who in a very special way have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. <coughs> filled with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. Their names are Bezalel and Aholiab. I like to also note 
Here in Exodus 35, it is highlighted that the gifts Bezalel and Aholiab had came from above. The Lord had endowed them with these special talents. At times, we speak about a person having natural talents, say a born teacher or a born musician, which refers to something in which a person really excels. Yet also this, beloved, is a gift of God, nothing to boast of. Some people are really study people. Others are more skilled with their hands. Yet this does not make the one more important than the other. Christ's congregation consists of a great variety of members. It may consist of professors lecturing at university, or floor layers, or electricians. Each one has received different talents. However, this does not make the one member more important than the other member. To each one of us applies that we have to make the most of the talents God has given us, be it lecturing at the university or on the job site. With whatever talent we have been given, we are called to serve, and this to the glory of God. I spoke about the workplace, but this equally applies to using that same talent or another one for the upbuilding of the congregation. Just think back to that person with musical skills. He has to earn a living by teaching music. Doing so, he has to use his God-given talents to the best of his ability, teaching his students well. At the same time, however, he can also use this gift by playing the organ during the worship service or in conducting a choir, to mention a few examples. The point in all this where do we live for both where do we live for both in the workforce as well as in the church is it all about our own glory see how good i am in this see of what i have built up or do we want to serve and while serving are we eager to bring glory to god realizing that we would never be able to do all this if god had not given us certain talents to underline all this once more i would like to go back to exodus 35 and 36 The Lord had appointed Bezalel and Aholiab, two special skilled persons who all of a sudden become the center of attention with their specific skills. However, even when looking at the tribe they came from, it shows the variety. Bezalel came from the tribe of Judah, the most important tribe among the people of Israel, the tribe from which one day the Messiah would be born. Yet Aholiab came from the tribe of Dan, regarded as the least among the tribes of Israel. This shows it doesn't matter from which family you come. The Lord also uses every family. At times in the church, there are families which are looked down upon. When children of such a family go to start going to school, it can happen that beforehand they are already labeled, so to speak. Oh, she or he is from that family. How wrong this is. God wants to use all families in the church, all gifts, as long as we work faithfully with the talents God has given us. <laughs> Exodus 36 makes this clear as well. Bezalel and Aholiab were put in charge to oversee the work because of the special skills God had given them. They recruited people who were also good in working with their hands. Yet this does not, did not mean the rest of the people simply could sit back watching them. Instead, we read in Exodus 36, verse 3 to 5, they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. 
I would like to make a number of comments on these verses. First, we find here a clear example of all members being involved. Indeed, all members. I can remember a picture from a children's Bible of a little girl bringing also something to Moses, her necklace, perhaps given to her on a birthday. Just a picture, but it shows that indeed the whole congregation was involved. Each member brought something, the parents even teaching their children to be willing to give. It portrays a real picture of congregational life. In the end, there is even more than was needed. From where did this readiness to give come? The simple answer is from God himself. The Lord himself worked this in the people of Israel, since by nature they, and we too, are rather selfish, thinking of ourselves before we think of others. Exodus 36 speaks about a free will offering, yet at the same time, God worked this in their hearts. The same applies to what we call voluntary contributions. Voluntary, but if God would not work in our hearts, we would never give anything. It is nothing we can boast of. Again, we can only thank God for making us willing and ready to give. <coughs> Exodus 36 thus pictures for us a miracle worked by God, and this even more so when we look at the context in which this all took place. By ordering the people to build a tabernacle, God showed that he wanted to dwell among his people, and this despite the sins committed. When Moses was on the mountain receiving all these instructions, the people danced around the golden calf. Yet still, God wants to be near this stiff-necked people through his spirit, working even willingness in their hearts to bring their offerings to Moses, each member his or her own special offering, freely from the heart, a heart moved by God. We know all this was only possible because of the blood of reconciliation, the blood of the sacrificial animals, which pointed to the coming Christ. It's from here that I would like to draw the line through to today. Christ indeed did come. He shed his precious blood, laying down his life for us. He died, but he also arose, ascended into heaven, where he took seat in the throne of God and intercedes for us, while he also poured out his spirit, through whom he makes us also willing to build the church, by using our gifts to the glory of God. It's his work and not ours. This is the bottom line. Let us never forget this when being active and using our gifts. Looking at our sins, how undeserving we are, will make us the more thankful and zealous in using our gifts well to glorify God as the giver of all these gifts. It will also cause us to be more active in using these gifts for the upbuilding of Christ's church. To build the church, then we can think of how we build this church together, in which every Sunday we come together to worship God. Building this church was a project in which we worked together, similar to the Israelites building the tabernacle. Yet when thinking of the church as a building, we also think of the congregation as the body of Christ, of which we are all members, who are all to contribute by serving one another, each member with the talent God has given us. Each member. This means not only those who have made profession of faith, but also our young people. Even the children in elementary school or at kindergarten. You may wonder, how can even these little ones be involved? Well, let me make this practical. 
I think of the little ones sitting in church, joining the congregational singing in that song they have learned at school. Perhaps as minister, I should even think a bit more of this, since we also need their voices. We come together as congregation. The children, too, belong with their specific talents. I think of what it says in Psalm 8, verse 2. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. The children, too, belong. That's why we take them along to the worship service already at a young age. They have to learn that they too are part of the congregation. Think back to Exodus 36 and that little girl who brought her necklace to Moses. Each member being involved, well that brings us back to 1 Peter 4 verse 10. Once more I'd like to emphasize that Peter says, as each one has received a gift, so easily it happens that we look at others more capable than we are, and as a result, we feel inferior. What can I contribute? Yet, beloved, God wants to involve all of us. In the body, each organ has its function. Not one organ can be missed. Thus, the Lord wants to involve all of us. Being gifted, and we all are in one way or another, having received the Spirit of God who dwells within us, being gifted, we are we all are called to serve with the gifts we have received, each member with his or her own special gift. We are called to minister to the needs of one another, and this to the glory of God. Which brings us to the final point. In verse 11a, the Apostle Peter just mentions a few gifts. He writes, If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. In one of the commentaries which I read in preparation for this sermon, the author writes, In this verse, the ministering of gifts is divided in two categories, speaking and serving. In a similar way as we find it also in Romans 12, verse 6 and 7a, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. Speaking and serving. It is noteworthy that in verse 11, the Apostle Peter is not referring to special offices. Instead, he formulates it in a very general way. If anyone speaks, if anyone serves. Paraphrasing verse 11a in a more practical way, Peter is saying here, using our gifts for the benefit of one another as congregation, we must do so both in word as well as in deed. You have, mem <coughs> you have members who really have the ability to go on a visit, encouraging a brother or sister, lately somewhat depressed. Others are more skilled in offering practical help. That's how word and deed keep each other in balance. It's all part of the manifold grace God has bestowed upon us and of which we have to be good stewards, each member with the gift God has given them. In all this, we have to keep reminding ourselves as well as one another that the God is the giver of all these gifts. It's God who gave that brother, visiting that member lately somewhat depressed, the words to speak. It's God who made that other brother willing to offer his practical skills. This is indeed something, beloved, we should keep remembering, lest we might start boasting of ourselves or might feel inferior when looking at others and what they are able to do. 
Also with respect to using the gifts we have received applies what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hence in serving, all glory should always go to God alone. Being active as congregation may never become something we start boasting of. But all thanks should go to God alone, who not only is the giver of the gifts present in the congregation, but who also has to make our hearts willing to maximizing these gifts for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. When a congregation is active in serving, it is the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of us. It is for this reason that the Apostle Peter closes this section off in verse 11b, that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Indeed, all glory must be given to God alone, and this through Christ, who himself is the greatest gift God gave us. This brings the section of Exodus 35 and 36, and the text chosen for this morning's sermon together in the most beautiful way. God worked in the hearts of the Israelites to bring their free will offering to Moses, who passed them on to the workers so that the tabernacle could be built, the place where God wanted to dwell among his people and where the blood of reconciliation was shed on a daily basis pointing to Christ. While the same applies to the New Testament church, it is the fruit of Christ's redeeming work only that we have become new creatures who are no longer selfish, but who as good stewards of the manifold grace of God entrusted to us become willing to serve, willing to be there for each other, each with his or her own gift, and this to glorify God in all things. Beloved, may in this way Christ's congregation here in Edmonton Emmanuel indeed be a living congregation in every respect, each member pulling his weight and using his or her specific gift. Let us pray that this will be the fruit of this morning's preaching. Amen.